Hello and welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings. This is a very special Super Bowl teaser trailer episode, and I am here joined by your host, Bronwyn, the mystical healer character, Jen, aka Jen Gallagher. And I am joined by Michael Rowland, aka Mysterious Comet Naked Man. AKA Michael Rowland. Did you have to throw Naked Man in there? They don't know what I, they don't know what it looked like behind this mic. <laughs> He's naked, folks. This is not. He's naked over here. He's not naked. <laughs> um, but we. By the are... way, we're all starting a YouTube soon, and I'll be naked in every single video. Yeah, come come on down. <laughs> that, that's part of our appeal. Just kidding. Um, we're really excited and on fire about the trailer that was released. We hope you are too. And we're going to talk about it. Everybody's talking about it. And we're definitely going to dive in and dissect this thing for you. Yeah. If you are a regular listener of our podcast, then you obviously have watched the trailer not once, not twice, probably about 10 times by now. And you probably listen to uh, just about every reaction podcast and reaction YouTube video there is out there. And so you probably already know a lot that there is because uh, everybody is, as Jen said, on fire. So we want to do something a little bit different. We don't want to just... Uh, use the same format that everyone else has done. Um, you probably noticed everyone does what makes sense shot by shot, you know, scene by scene. Let's break it down. Let's look at all the uh, imagery in there. And we're going to talk about a lot of that in the podcast, but we don't want to approach it in that same way because um, that's been done a little bit. And we want to uh, bring a little bit of a different flavor here. So we're just going to uh, roll through kind of our, our reactions and um, have a little fun with it. We'll have some I don't know, just fun, quirky questions. But before we get to that, uh, we just want to remind you to reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, via email, watchpartylotr at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you about this episode uh, of the podcast and about prior episodes. Um, we're going to be doing a mail back at the end of this episode because we've gotten a lot of mail over the months that we really haven't addressed. And we want to start working that into the episode. So if you want to reach out to us and join the conversation, please do contact us and uh, we'll read your comments on the air and uh, discuss them in future episodes and be a really fun way to engage. Uh, and of course, don't forget to like, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. It really is the best way to support the podcast and help others to find us. So back to the meat and potatoes because I am just um, vibrating through the walls over here. Uh, Jen, why don't we start just with our initial reactions? I mean, this is this is an emotional thing for us. We both have loved Lord of the Rings for most of our lives. And um, it's been a very big part of not just the books, of course, but also the Jackson films and seeing things depicted on screen, you know, the visual representation of something you've seen only in your mind. There is a really profoundly emotional element to this experience. Yeah. And Absolutely. I kind of want to hear what your emotion was when you first heard those first words and the first you know, notes from the, the soundtrack of the trailer. How did you feel? I, you know, my initial reaction was I did feel transported. I felt transported that, okay, we're back to Middle Earth. And I felt that way because we got, there's a lot of overlap and similarities between this and the Jackson films. Even though this is definitely distinct, you have these big sweeping shots of grandiose cities and statues and landscapes that are just beautiful. And it definitely felt like Middle Earth, you know, everything from fantastical creatures to um, really powerful shots of characters in battle to new and surprising things, but that 
absolutely felt very Tolkien-esque and very much um, like we're we're going back to Middle Earth, even though it's Middle Earth reimagined. And the soundtrack as well, um, I thought was great and helped to kind of add that feel of um, very much the Tolkien feel, the, the Peter Jackson's Tolkien anyway. Um but yeah, I was I felt um kind of elated afterwards <laughs> because I saw I saw a good mix of action punctuated by quiet moments of contemplation. Um for example, the hand holding at the very end and some some softer moments, um just shots of, you know, the forest of Linden, presumably what is Linden, mm-hmm. and just the more tender moments punctuated by um, some exciting moments, you know, for example, the the elf catching the arrow midair. Very exciting. So I, I loved it. I want more. What about you? Yeah, my very. The, so the very first thing I felt, uh, obviously, the, there's just a split second moment there. And you know, your brain works fast, your heart works fast. And hearing the um, young girl's voice voiceover immediately caught my attention because I was not expecting it. I was expecting you know, Galadriel again, or maybe, you know, an Elrond or a Gilgalad. One of the characters that we knew was a major character going in. Right. And it was none of those characters, none of them. Um, it was a, a young a young girl's voice that I couldn't place immediately. So I, immediately I was going, huh, what's, what's this? And it kind of drew me in. As a longtime fan who's, you know, I am neck deep in, in all the spoilers and leaks and everything, Right. Speaking of spoilers, spoiler warning, this is another spoiler episode. <laughs> Go bury your head in the sand if you don't want to hear about this. Okay. Um, uh, but given that, I didn't think I would be that surprised about anything. Uh, but that was kind of a, a surprise. Uh, and that made me f- feel very curious about the, the direction they're they're taking, uh, that the rest of the teaser was going to go in. Um, and we'll talk about this later. Uh, because I think it's pretty obvious that that voiceover character is uh, one of the hobbits or the, you know, the Harfoots. Oh, definitely. And, you know, the words uh, of the voiceover, which was very short, it was a very short voiceover. And then it went straight to just music and images, but the words of the voiceover, haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? There's wonders in this world beyond our wandering. I can feel it. Just a very, simple voiceover but it gets to a very um, basic concept that really indicated that the they're going to be reusing the hobbits as an audience proxy approach that tolkien used for the lord of the rings which is in fact entirely absent from the silmarillion and unfinished tales the rest of the legendary that is a unique device that tolkien utilized for the lord of the rings but an incredibly effective one one that is part of the experience for 99% of Tolkien fans. I mean, some people who are deep legendarium fans, um, you know, prefer the Silmarillion or think when they think of Tolkien, they just think of the, the, the the Silmarillion plot lines and the hobbits are kind of secondary, but for 99% of fans, especially the casual fans, hobbits are a huge part of the Tolkien experience, the Lord of the Rings experience. And so we kind of knew that they were going to be bringing hobbits back into it. Uh, I mean, we knew that they were going to be Hobbit right. characters uh, for marketing purposes. There's no way they're going to leave those out. Uh, but I didn't know how they were going to use them. And now we kind of know. 
yeah, they're going to be a bit of an audience proxy. And again, we've talked about this in past episodes that Lord of the Rings is in a way a, a portal fantasy um, mm-hmm. where the hobbits are the proxies for the audience. They're sort of the uh, rule, more contemporary English characters and it's almost like the real world it feels like the real world and then they're transported when they you know they go through uh Mirkwood and then they meet Tom Bombadil and then they're finally kind of into this broader world a world of adventure and magic and wizards and and Sauron and um you know they go through this portal into the world of magic and it seems like they're going to be utilizing the same device in this show which uh, I think is perfectly fine it's perfectly great and I think it's to be expected um, I am still very curious about how they're going to line up and interact with the larger plot lines. Um, and I am consoled somewhat by the Vanity Fair article that made very clear that they're not going to be taking part in the great deeds. Um, so I think they may just be, you know, a side, still a side plot that lends emotional context to the larger plot lines that are going on. Definitely. Yeah, I was... I came away from this teaser feeling so much better about hobbits being included. I have felt I have felt all over the place about that. But I think what I I also loved that female voice uh, coming in at the beginning. It was mm. so um whimsical and what I really got from this little Harfoot shot, this this little Harfoot that we see, this female mm-hmm. hobbit is it reminded me so much of fairy and like this idea there's something there's something fantastical about her and sort of fairy like and as we know like t- incorporating elements of fairy and that whole world was such a huge part of Tolkien's um writing even though he didn't write hobbits necessarily that way um these are pre hobbits they predate hobbits and there's just something sort of enchanting about, to me, about this this little hobbit and the way that she speaks. And mm-hmm. I really was into it. And the fact that this little hobbit interacts with this mysterious comet creature, presumably, I mean, I'm assuming that the last shot where their hand, where they're holding yeah, hands, yeah. is the person. Or the creature, the being, whatever, what have you, in the comet holding hands with the Harfoot, the Hobbit. I, I think um, that's right because Fellowship of Hands has confirmed that that the character in the the character poster with the old man with the like heavy woolen sleeves holding the apple that that is Meteor Man, and that's very clearly the same hand, the same woolen sleeve that you see in the very last shot, um, holding the hand of the small you know, small girl or small hobbit. So it's definitely, and we know from the Vanity Fair article that that is what the Harfoot's, Harfoot character's plotline is going to be. It's then finding this, the stranger is all he's identified as, um, this sort of mysterious character who forgets who he is. And um, that part of the journey for the viewers is going to be, I guess, discovering who that character is. So character of significance. So there is something significant going on with the Hobbits. Mm-hmm. But it will still be a side plot. Right. It's a side plot that probably ties in. I have new theories about Meteor Man, but we'll get to that. I mean, they're not new. They're just things that I'm like, hmm, okay, I ca- I could see that. Yeah. But just uh, so, you know, the question is, what was your emotional response? I guess to sum it up, you know, for me, it was mostly just a lot of heavy breathing. I was just... <laughs> 
you know, heavy, panting. heavy panting. <laughs> I, no, I, yeah. I just, it really looked, it really looked good. I mean, to be honest, it's hard for me to turn off the analytical side of my brain now with, with anything Lord of the Rings, because I am so invested in this, just producing this podcast forces me to look at things through a critical lens. I'm always thinking, what are we going to talk about on the podcast? Um, and I have all the background information from all the research we've done, both in the lore and just spoilers and leaks and everything. So I'm always watching things with that critical lens turned on. So it's hard for me to turn it off and completely embrace the purely emotive aspect of it. But I, I got to say, you know, I already talked about the very first gut feeling I had, you know, at the very first moment of the, the teaser. But as it went on um, and at the end of it, I was kind of relieved. It was like a sigh of relief. Oh, okay, this looks good. You know, it was overall positive. The imagery is breathtaking. Um, so it was excitement and yeah. I immediately wanted to watch it again and again <laughs> to start, you know, mining it for details. So it was overall very positive. I, uh, yeah, it's I compelling. Excited. It's compelling. It's a great, it's a great teaser trailer, A+. Plus. And it's purely a tease because we still, you know, it's not like a regular trailer. There was not a line of dialogue other than the very short voiceover. So not a line of dialogue between the characters, nothing that really teased what the plot line is going to be. Um, it's, you know, to the extent that we can, we know anything about the plot lines, it's really just what we learned from the Vanity Fair article and things we can maybe guess at or extrapolate from just from images, but like a really full length trailer, some of the really annoying ones almost spoil the entire plot of the movie or of the show. Oh, there's still enough mystery. That there's so much mystery. There's a lot of mystery that I still, I want more. Um, I think what it, it accomplished what it needed to accomplish and that it established to your average audience, listen, this is taking place way before the Lord of the Rings. This is, you know, predates it by quite a bit. And it's exciting. People will recognize and identify with a couple of things in it, like, oh, those are clearly elves, those are clearly dwarves, etc. I think the thing that it didn't, that it failed to do, perhaps, to your average viewer, so for example, um, my partner is definitely not, he's a fan of, big fan of Lord of the Rings, the movies, but mm-hmm. he said, I don't understand the through line. Where are the rings? Uh-huh. Um, and the rings are are missing, Um in this trailer, but it is a teaser trailer. And as far as we know, this is just a teaser for the first few episodes. Even this doesn't even, what I've heard is this doesn't even include the whole season. This is just, Oh yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. This is just the first few episodes. So we don't even know if a lot of this stuff is going to be, we don't know where, how significant it is yet. Right. You know, to the overall, to the overall series. This is just the first few. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. I think that that at least half of the scenes or the you know quick shots that we see are from the first couple episodes, which we know are kind of prologue episodes. Probably some like first stage material in there, um, and then there are a couple shots that I think are probably from later. Like Gilgalad, I think is probably from the main plot. Um, I think when Galadriel's yeah. with the man on the raft, it's probably from the main plot, um, but. You know, the stuff with her climbing the ice mountain and then the guy that I'm guessing is her brother in the cave with the ice troll. I think that's probably, you know, the crossing of the Hilkaraxa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's very early first stage material. So I th- there's a, still a ton, a ton that they haven't revealed to us, which I'm so glad for that. It's it's weird. It's uh, it's like I want to punish myself. You know, it, 
obviously <laughs> I, wa- I want to see everything, but at the same time, it's, I kind of want to draw this process out because once it's out, it's out, you know, you can't, I can't Definitely. go back to, to where I am now. I'm kind of like in this blissfully excited stage yeah. where every morsel is so tasty. And yeah. um, once it's all out, once I've had the full meal, I'm never going to be able to experience this again. So I, I'm kind of enjoying this process. Same. I feel exactly the same. Well, so let's get into our next little uh, segment here. Is there anything new that we learned from the teaser that we didn't already know? And uh, people who've been listening along with us, you know, we've been going through all the leaks in pretty great detail. We get a lot of good leaks from Fellowship of Fans. I think the vast majority of which pan out as being accurate. Um, So we're pretty up to date on things, but I think there is some stuff in here that, that definitely tells us something new. Jen, was there anything that jumps out at you? Yes, definitely. I mean, the thing that was new for me was there's that brief shot of the elves. They're in battle, right? And they're surrounded. And it doesn't look like it's going very well. And it's such a brief shot. But it's been, as far as I know, confirmed, I believe by Fellowship of Fans, that this character is an elf. It is Finrod. Mm-hmm. Um, and which leads us to believe this is either a flashback or just prologue or something. Um, but but this could be like the Dagor Bragalak, like the huge battle um, between between Melkor's forces and, and the elves. Um, but that was, that was new to me. I didn't think, um, I just hadn't spent much time thinking about Finrod's role, but seeing him and then understand, I think it's, I think it's a smart decision that we get to see this play out um, for two reasons see this battle or at least some of it one because it's going to establish um the threat of melkor morgoth sauron what have you we need a little bit of background or the average viewer i think needs some background on like why is this a threat why is anatar such a threat what has happened in the past that people are so terrified right right they need to be reminded of that um, I think that's the first thing. And second of all, Galadriel, from what we know from this Galadriel, this version, she's hunting down the remnants of of evil, of of Sauron and Melkor, their existence in the world. And we need to understand why she would be doing that and her rage behind the fact that she's lost her brothers to this evil force. Right. Her brothers have been, her family's been deeply involved in this struggle and I think that the showrunners have really thought about this. Like, what are her motivations? Would she be really angry that her brothers have all been killed? She she is, like, the last woman standing at some point um, by this by this force. So that was a surprise to me, and, and I thought that was cool. We need, we need background, and including as much of the lore as possible, I think, is really great. Yeah, that was something... That was going to be one of my answers as well. That that image, um, be- specifically because it was tweeted out by Fellowship of Fans that um, that actor is Will Fletcher, um, the the character that's at the center of that shot of all the the elves fighting the orcs. He is Finrod, and that is a first age battle. So that is confirmed that this is going to be a flashback to a first age battle, um, and it would have to be a first age battle if it's Finrod if they're staying close to the lore because he died in the first age. So um, if they were to bring him into the second age, that would be a massive departure that would cause Tolkien fans to, you know, eat themselves alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it wouldn't be the dagger Bragalak because uh, if they're staying close to the lore, because he was already dead by that point, he, 
Um, oh, that's right. Finrod was uh, basically thrown into a pit by Sauron. You know, as part of the Baron and Luthien story, Finrod uh, aids Baron and ends up getting essentially killed, uh, tortured and killed by Sauron. He gets, I think, eaten by a werewolf, killed by a werewolf or something, or a vampire. And no, it's a werewolf. Uh, Isle of werewolves. I think it's a werewolf. Yeah, which is freaking crazy. Uh, but so he gets killed by Sauron. So I think that to the extent that they're creating this Galadriel plotline where she is basically on a, a revenge tour, you know, she's hunting down whether it's Morgoth's forces or Sauron's forces, it would make sense for it to be Sauron's forces because she would want to get revenge on her brother's killer. And right. if they're. And this is a new take on Galadriel. Like th- that's a different take, but. But one that does make sense. Yeah. Right. And, and that's something that you and I actually discussed a little bit, um, you know, ages back when we were planning on doing a Galadriel episode. And I think we're going to have to we're going to have to do that now, do a deep dive into her past. But, um, you know, if we were kind of speculating that if Galadriel was going to be a main character, it would make a lot of sense for Finrod's death. If it's not in the main plot to be a flashback to inform us of her motivations, because Finrod's death also would tie her together with Celebrimbor in an interesting way because mm. Celebrimbor was not directly a part of that, but his uncles were the reason uh, or a big part of the reason that Finrod had to go out and help Baron and Luthien alone and or, uh, not alone alone, but with only with a small contingent of guards. That's um, right. The rest of his people stayed behind at the urging of Celebrimbor's uncles. And so f- because of that, Finrod was didn't have the force he needed and was captured by Sauron and killed. So, and Celebrimbor wasn't a part of that evil, but it was his uncles. And so, is Galadriel in her interactions with Celebrimbor? Is, is that going to create a tension for them, or is that what brings them closer? Because Celebrimbor disavowed his uncles. You know, that whole relationship we speculated was something that could be a big part of the Galadriel Celebrimbor plot lines. And so it's kind of gratifying to see that we were right about those speculations. To, to some extent, we know that Finrod is going to be featured in a scene and his death is going to be significant. And Galadriel is on a revenge tour to basically punish the forces of her brother's killer. So I, I think it is a different take on Galadriel in the sense that we never see her militarism. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense if you really think through the trauma that she's gone through yeah, and she is exactly. a leader of the Noldor for, you know, in various ways through much of her life, leader of the Noldor and other uh, middle earth elves that sort of intermingle. Um, what does it mean to be a leader? It doesn't have to mean military exploits, but it can mean that, especially if there's military stuff going on all the time, you know, she wouldn't be completely sitting on the sidelines or uh, unaware of what's going on or not involved. So it's, it makes sense to me, and I think it's an interesting take. Yeah, definitely. Um, any other surprises for you, or um, things you weren't new things revealed? Yeah, I would say that the 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 one thing that I had on my mind that surprised me was what I already talked about with with the hobbits. Um, and this isn't like a lore surprise. This is basically just a what I what we've been wondering: how are they going to incorporate hobbits and to the extent that this teaser gives us a little more insight into that and a little bit more of a glimpse, um, that was a surprise. That was something new, you know, knowing that they are that part of the story that's going to be explored here is the, the ennoblement theme that we get a lot of in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're getting that here again with, with these Harfoots who 
in the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits don't really want to explore the wider world. Uh, you know, maybe Frodo has some curiosity. Sam has some curiosity. But the idea is hobbits generally are content to sit back and be safe um, and not explore. It's like part of their culture. Um, and then they're dragged out into the wider world and they're ennobled. And here, um, these are, again, simple folk. But we see that this character is kind of like a Sam Gamgee. You know, she wants to see the wider world. She doesn't know that there are elves like Sam does. Sam's always wanted to see elves. But she knows there's something more out there. She can feel it, that there's more to this world than their simple, simple wandering. And there's going to be this ennoblement plot line where they are at some point exposed to the wider world. And maybe it'll be yes. a good thing. Maybe it'll be a good thing. Maybe it'll be, a, you know, a tragic thing. Many <laughs> people think it's not going to be a good thing. And I've sort of joined that camp, but I want to wait till we get to that scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, Jen. Yes. Favorite costume. We saw a lot of costumes, some of which we'd already seen in the, in the character posters. Um, some that are new. Who whose costume do you want to go out and wear to the club? Oh man, I have to say, this there's a really brief shot, but uh, amazing shot of Dees the 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 dwarf, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the dwarven princess. I just love her costume, and I am so excited to see that shot play out. We might as well just talk about it. Um, because it it's clear from what I'm hearing and reading that she's doing a singing some sort of lamentation and she's right. singing right um, and that I'm just so thrilled that that's incorporated. I think I mentioned that in a previous episode that song um, is such a huge part of Tolkien's world. So the fact that there's a lamentation in the song, I can't wait to hear that. And the, the costume's stunning. I just like to see it on screen. It really pops. Um, it's beautiful, but the costumes in general are really excellent and pretty stunning and very dramatic. Um, what about you? Favorite costume? Um, I'm going to go with Meteor Man. Uh, Meteor Man. Both during the crash and after the crash. You His know, birthday suit. Loincloth. You know, I'd rather just live in loincloth. And then, you know, he's got that nice woolen sweater. It's just cozy. <laughs> I prize coziness. Overall things, you know, for the pandemic past two years, all of my meetings, you know, got a suit jacket up top, undies on the bottom, Cozy. you know, undies on the bottom. Definitely. <laughs> These attorneys and judges on the other end of the line, they have no idea what's going on below the frame. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but uh, in all seriousness, I would say Gilgalad. Um, mm. I thought, uh, so this is the first time we'd seen Gilgalad's face. Um, yeah. And I... I like the actor that's playing him. His name escapes me at the moment. And ben, so I was like, uh, uh, yeah, Ben something. Benjamin Walker. Thank you. Benjamin Walker. I, I like him. He's a good actor. I was like, oh, sure. That's a good Gilgalad. But seeing him as Gilgalad, I was like, oh, that's Gilgalad. I mean, it mm-hmm. really fit. People like to, yeah. you know, I just kind of tend to poo poo like the whole, he doesn't look like Gilgalad or he does look like Gilgalad. That whole debate as it relates to any character because it's like, look, wait till you see them act, then they'll become the character. Then it won't matter how they look. You know, people are complaining about uh, Elrond, that character not looking like Elrond to them. But it's like, this is all in the abstract. And so I always poo-pooed that whole thing. But then I see Gilgalad and Benjamin Walker is Gilgalad. It just looked perfect to me. Um, But beyond just his bearing and everything, his outfit, super dope. I mean, 
if I yeah. were ever to wear something to like a Comic Con, you know, if I were to ever cosplay, I would want to get the the Gilgalad robes going on. Like, yeah, it's like it's he looks very stately and kingly, and he is a king after all. Yeah. Um, but that shot is really beautiful. You can tell he's in this beautiful forested area watching this comet you know looking crash up with land. concern yeah looking up with concern and that's it's really significant because he that comet clearly indicates something important and we don't really know yet but i'm c- increasingly more and more suspicious Knowing that Gilgalad, if I'm not mistaken, it does alert folks to the fact that Sauron has risen again. I'm more and more in the camp of this comet, this meteor man could really be Sauron. Like, not in his fair form yet. But he, it would explain his origins of getting back to Middle Earth. It would be a clever way that he encounters the hobbits. And then we know from some of the spoilers that the hobbits were attacked by Sauron's forces or Sauron himself. Um, right. So to encounter them and sort of and sort of remember his purpose would be a really interesting twist, and it would be a really interesting introduction to Sauron um, before he becomes sort of Anatar. So I'm how, not how, posi- would that, how would that work? Because that is obviously that would be a big departure from the lore. I mean, in the lore, there's yeah. the the final battle at the end of the first age. Um, you know, Arendelle goes and gets all the Valar. It's like, hey, Valar, help us out. The Valar and all the elves from from um, Valinor come across and just whoop Morgoth's butt. And Sauron is offered pardon by Yanwe, Manwe's herald, and says, hey, um, come back to Valinor. Basically, you'll stand trial. I can't, I can't give you a pardon here and leave you here. You have to come back to Valinor and sort of, um prostrate yourself and beg for forgiveness and you know who knows what will happen but the idea is it's a pardon and Sauron's like I can't I'm not going to do that you know and the text indicates that he was maybe considering going back and he really thought genuinely maybe he would feel bad like maybe I was on the wrong side here obviously Morgoth lost and he's cast into the void so maybe I was mistaken in following him and so he was genuinely considering going back but then he's like I I can't his pride was too great and so he basically fleed into middle earth and i i guess the rest of valar were like well oh well see ya and just like forgets about sauron and they go back to valinor but and then sauron's just doing his thing um so there's nothing in there to indicate like why would he be a flaming fireball that and then he why would he forget who he is and why would he be in the shape of an old man um accidentally i you know it would be a a really made up plot line, which maybe they'll do that and maybe it'll work and it'll be fine. And I'll just be like, Hey, the books are one thing and the show's another. But um, in terms of speculating based on the books, I don't know. I don't know how it could be Sauron. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think it could just as easily be an Ishtari or. That's what I think. It could be. I'm full on. Definitely could be. You think it's a blue wizard? I think it's I think it's a blue wizard. So here's my theory. Um, I think so. What we know is form of an old man. Check the Astari are in the form of old men. Um, 
he is sort of forgetful a little bit. That's what they say. Like he's a little dis seems a little disconnected. Check. Um, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but in in the par- in the uh, section of the unfinished tales on the Astari, it indicates that as part of the process of uh, becoming incarnate, because that's one of the unique things about the the Astari is although they are um, of the order of the Maiar, and generally the Valar and Maiar, you know, when they get bodies, it's just raiment that they've created for themselves. They're not truly incarnate, but in the process of selecting the Astari to come over, they basically wanted to power them down and say, like, you're going to become a more a part of this world. And so you are now incarnate. So your souls are tied to your bodies. Um, you're a little bit powered down. And as part of that process, it's kind of like they forgot a little bit, not forgot, but it was like, uh, it was like, it was harder for them to access their memories and the, all the, the fullness of the true knowledge that they had uh, in Valinor. And so you can imagine that the early stages of that could be like, you know, their soul shoved into a body, they're spit out into Middle Earth. And like for a little while, it takes a while for them to remember everything. And so in those very early days, they're, they're forgetful. So I think that description from the Unfinished Tales and the Astari is consistent with what they're saying here, where this old man is forgetful. And I think the only differences here, people are going, well, Meteor, that doesn't, that's nowhere in the lore. And you're right, it's not. I think all they've done is they've updated the mode of transportation. <laughs> the Astari came to Middle Earth in boats and they're like, eh, that's not as dramatic. Let's put them in a fireball because we're Amazon. And, uh, you know, setting aside that that's maybe like overdoing it, it's a little bit extra. I think that's probably all it is. It's like, it's like kind of fun and they can get away with it. Um, if you really think too much about it, it doesn't really make sense, but uh, just don't think too much about it. And, Think about it as like an Astari that just rode a meteor into Middle Earth. <laughs> it, yeah, it's one way to get him there. <laughs> and we know that, and we you gotta imagine that Amazon, same way that they knew they needed to include hobbits into this show in some way, just because of the way that people, uh, it's impossible to decouple Tolkien from hobbits. It's pretty much equally as impossible wizards. to decouple Tolkien from wizards. Like wizards are wizards. a huge part of it. So. It's like they're like we're gonna find a way to put wizards in here, and if you go well, back, some and... people think it's Gandalf. I, no. Did I already mention that? No, I don't think so. No I mean, way. that would be such pandering. That would just be annoying to me. That would be annoying to me too. That'd be annoying to me too. Uh, and so, you know, to the listeners, go back and listen to our episode on the Blue Wizards, one of our early episodes, and we really go deep into all the origin stories for the wizards and talk about how um, bringing the Blue Wizards into the story, a Second Age story could work and there is some basis for it in the text tolkien explored a couple different origin stories for the wizards the generally accepted story is that was published in the Silmarillion originally is that they came over in the third age this is also in the appendices that's when all the astari came over was in the third age but there's a version of the blue wizard story that had them coming over in the second age around the same time as glorfindel actually um as part of the same plan, you know, the, the Valar trying to help Middle-earth in the struggle against Sauron. But for some reason, Tolkien was like, ah, maybe I'll send the Blue Wizards over a little earlier. So we were kind of keyed into that early on that, hey, maybe these are characters that could show up because there is some support for it in the text uh, or in a version of the text that, that Tolkien had written. Now, whether, whether Amazon has access to the Unfinished Tales, we now know that they don't. So... That actually kind of cuts against my argument because all they have access to is the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, and the appendices. And so anything that's referenced in there, they can then 
adapt that material. And so the only reference to the Astari is what's in the appendices, I believe. And that would be the them coming over in the third age. So now I'm talking myself out of it a little bit, <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> I, I'm still putting my money there. I'm still putting my money there. That's a blue wizard. All right. It remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. How many different phantoms can you love at once? At Four Cats Boutique, there is no limit. Katie and Jordan have prints, bookmarks, stickers, earrings, keychains, and more for all of our beloved fandoms. Get yourself a set of Lord of the Rings bookmarks, one special for each in the trilogy. Maybe some Hobbit Hole earrings, a Wheel of Time sticker, or some Star Wars blueprints of a TIE Fighter and an X-Wing. You can even find prints for the Legends of Zelda, like Majora's Mask, or the Master Sword. Dune, Marvel, Game of Thrones, The Witcher, the list goes on and on. So head over to Four Cats Boutique on Etsy to get something for yourself or a loved one from almost any fandom you can think of. That's the number four and cats with a K. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. Next question here. So we did favorite costume. Favorite set. We saw a lot of a lot of different sets and sweeping landscapes. What was the most eye-catching one for you? Oh, absolutely the most striking was the for the first shot. Uh, we're, we're like-minded. We're like-minded. I mean, what a beautiful, it's so, so striking. And I love the detail. If you just freeze frame it and look at the detail, it's really compelling. You've got the giant statue, which, you know, everybody's speculating about. It could be Elros. Uh, Certainly it's Elros or certainly it's uh, our Farazone who's gotten so full of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, There is scaffolding, which seems to imply that it's still under construction so maybe it is more recent that's interesting i didn't notice that yes it's if you like zoom way in but the detail is stunning yeah you can see the mental tarma in the in the background the mountain Mm -hmm. this is definitely numenor um it's beautiful and it it looks a lot like uh the way tolkien uh sorry jackson filmed things um from the lord of the rings just panning over this giant, um, this beautiful, bustling harbor. It definitely reminded me of uh, the Grey Havens. Yeah, right, right. Um, in the architecture wise, but it the ships ca- sailing out were I felt like were significant, and just the whole thing was very very beautiful and the fact that it it is come to life we're looking finally yeah we're going to see the culture there we're going to see them become conquerors we're going to see them rise to power and fall that just lit me up i got really excited about that that was by far my favorite shot yeah i i'm at risk of just uh, having group think here i am with you and i make the same selection that opening shot is the most stunning to me and let's not forget this is the first time numenor has been adapted in any adaptation ever you know it, it wasn't adapted yeah. in, in first time peter jackson's it. lord of the rings not even in a flashback and That's so right. finally we're seeing what numenor is like and i this is the you know the city the scene that i was most excited to see um and it, it didn't disappoint you know it is interesting it is very similar architecturally, as you mentioned, to you know Jackson's um, version of the Grey Havens, um, and it's no surprise that they're incorporating a lot of the design aesthetics. You know, you still have 
the Weta Workshop involved, and so they're going to be using a lot of the same visuals. Um, and I'm fine with it, of course, because culturally Numenor was influenced by and tied to some of these elven cultures. You know, we knew, we talked about in our Aldarion and Arendus episodes that Aldarion spent a lot of time with Círdan the Shipwright. And so he's going to learn how to build havens and build ships in the fashion of Círdan. Of course, they make their own additions and uh, the craft evolves in their hands, but this is still very much influenced by the architecture and craft of the, the Grey Havens, and it, it kind of matches. Now, it's it's funny. I mean, you jumped right to the fact that it's Numenor, but it wasn't immediately obvious to me that this was Numenor, uh, and I think I was probably affected by the fact that the very first teaser image we ever got from Amazon was the image of the you know the two trees uh, and Tyrion on Tuna, you know, and it was sort of a similar image in, in the sense that it was a city on a hill overlooking a harbor. And so I th- at first I was like, oh, it, that's the same thing. But then, you know, you look at the structures and it's obvious that it doesn't match. And then there are mm-hmm. other things, like you mentioned, there's that giant statue that's reminiscent of the Argonath. And separate from the fact that it echoes the Argonath, which we know was built by men, building a giant statue of yourself or of one of your leaders is a very mannish thing to do. And I think it, I think that's even referenced somewhere uh, either in the Acalabeth or somewhere in the else in the Unfinished Tales, that the elves would not do that. That's not their way, and that's a very mannish thing to do to build giant statues to yourself, uh, which says something about the differences between elves and men, and you know possibly an early uh, gives you an early inkling of the pride that will lead to their fall. Um, but there are other hints as well. The very, 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 very early shot here, before you're even past the the archway, you know, you see the ship going through this giant archway and you see there are two big statues on either side and it zooms very quickly past them. But if you freeze the frame, you can see that the statue on the left has a beard. The statue on the right does not, but the statue on the left has a beard, which elves don't mm. have beards. Um, and this is like a very thick curly beard. So, you know, cured on the ship, right? It's supposed to have a, a wispy beard, but this is definitely a mannish beard. So that's another hint. Okay. This is, this statue was crafted by men of a man. Um, and also there's a icon, this sort of symbol on the top of the arch. It should look very, very familiar because it is the same symbol that is found on the handles or the pommel of the, not the pommel, but the, the handle of the sword on the character poster that we speculated was um, Isildur's brother, Anarion. It's sort of this mm. symbol of a son. and. Yes. That's definitely Numenorean. And so that's definitely Numenorean. It also kind of matches the belt buckle on the character poster. The guy's all in blue, uh, blue robes, and he's got a golden buckle that we later learned was uh, our fire zone. Um, it's, it's it's not exactly matching, but it's similar. So it's similar design aesthetics. So you're starting to see the links between the different Numenorean characters and, and their design. So yeah, this is definitely Numenor, and it is just awesome. Just awesome. Awesome. Um. I you know I have to give a a close not close but you know a second place to the iceberg shots you know uh, uh, basically Galadriel climbing the the wall like in Game of Thrones because oh everybody is saying that like this is so Game of Thrones. so Game of Thrones <laughs> and I mean it it does remind me of them scaling the wall and it's it's a cool action shot I will say that. And it's just well, it's just gorgeous too. I mean, the, just the still frame of all the mountains with that waterfall in the foreground. Um, it is really, really, really stunning. Um, and I thought I want to keep coming back to this because one thing that this teaser did for me 
is it made me more excited about what they're doing with Galadriel and like more comfortable with yeah. the direction. Um, I, I'm just getting like more used to the idea of like seeing her in armor, seeing her um, portrayed just very differently from, from the Lord of the Rings. And um, it just looked, it just looked really cool to me. And yeah. again, very heavy on the Feanorian stars. You know, when she, you see her hanging on the ice wall, you can see the yeah. Feanorian stars on both shoulders. And I do find that kind of curious. Uh, and I hope we learn more about why that's going on. Obviously, she's part of the Noldor. You know, Feanor is kind of like the biggest, hottest dude in, in all Noldor, Noldor land. But, you know, he abandoned all that, all the Noldor. I mean, I suppose... They'd already packed their bags by the time Fanor abandoned them, so they didn't have time to get rid of all their stuff with the Fanor, like all their Fanor shirts. So maybe that's why <laughs> they could have uh, burned them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you gotta imagine Galadriel is not that excited about sporting the sigil of Fanor this often and this long because she's got to mm. hate that dude, you know. Um, and for for the listeners who don't know all this lore, um, after the the kinslaying which Galadriel tried to stop Fanor from doing, Fanor stole the ships, sailed to Middle-earth, but instead of sending the ships back for like the second host of which Galadriel was a part, he burned the ships in Middle-earth and was like, eh, screw you guys, we don't need you. I mean, that shows you A, how how cruel and selfish Fanor was and how proud he was. He's like, oh, we don't need half of our force to go beat Morgoth. I'm just so great, I'm going to beat Morgoth. And so that forced that second host to travel on foot from Valinor to Middle Earth, and the only way they could do that was crossing this basically an, an ice bridge, kind of like in real history in, in the Earth. You know, the way there used to be an ice bridge um, connecting uh, the North American continents with the Asian continents, and they had to walk across this horrible ice bridge called the Helcaraxa. And bridges, I mean, it was miles and miles and miles. They they traveled along it for years to get there, and a great many of their hosts died on the way. And it said that Galadriel led or was one of the leaders, her and her brother, uh, brothers led the host across the Helcaraxa. And that's kind of what we're seeing here when she's jumping around on the ice wall is, you know, leading this host through this terrible, terrible terrain that even their elf bodies, not all the elf bodies could, could resist. And I like that shot because you don't see it up front because the focus is very much on Galadriel, but you see, that there are other elves below her. You can kind of see mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. capes flapping in the wind. I was like, so excited to see that. It's like, this is so cool. So I'm, I'm just getting cool. more psyched about that. Yeah, same. She's obviously a major player. And she, I think one thing I'm confused by, how does she, I still don't understand how she ends up on a raft with Halbrand. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, those shots were really cool. The, well, there was the one shot of who we can, assume is that character Halbrand mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, lost at sea not sure how she ends up there um and there's a brief brief shot of what looks like her still on the raft and this ha- this person uncovering her pushing back her hair to reveal elf ears so they discover she's an elf so that's still all kind of coming together for me I'm not sure how that ties in yet I'm trying to kind of read up on did she have to sneak away somehow and she was trying not to be discovered? Did she try to go into battle with or something? I'm just, I'm trying to figure that out. So I know there's some theories out there, but 
it, it remains it's one of the mysteries we're really shooting in the dark on that one because there's nothing in the yeah. lore i think that would point us or be helpful um in terms of pointing us in the right direction it could be i mean is this we know we're getting some first age stuff so is this her encountering a first age man so it's part of her like trip across the helcaraxa getting separated from the group somehow i don't think so because i don't the, think so we're compressing everything remember well but we know we're going to get some flashback well actually i guess we don't know anything now maybe they are compressing like maybe they are compressing this first age material into the second age and just showing galadriel and the noldor and the Hel- crossing of helcaraxa maybe that is all part of the second age i don't know um in we the show anyway yet. i hope not that would you know, we talked about this in the last episode. I'm not a big fan of the time compression because um, a big part of, to me, a big part of the of Tolkien and the experience is the textual ruins, the ancient history that the current story you're watching or reading is built on. You know, so you know that there's a much wider ru- uh, world that has, you know, kingdoms have been built up and they've fallen, and the the world that our, your characters are walking around on, it's on the ruins of, you know, ancient history, and. That's what part of what adds so much depth to his work, and so I, I hope they don't just jam everything together because then, what history is there for our characters to be, um, what ruins are there for them to be walking on? You know. Yeah, I think it's going to be referenced even if we don't get enough of it. It will definitely be there'll be nods to it yeah. throughout. So we're kind of talking about this already, but character you're most curious about? Goodness, um, I mean, I have to say, obviously, we already talked about. Um, the meteor man obviously wildly yeah yeah curious about uh meteor man but i also yeah um i kellen brimbor i know we're supposed to be talking about the trailer but kellen brimbor we haven't seen him at all where is he i'm so curious about him i know we're supposed to be talking about the trailer was he in the trailer but we just don't know it he wasn't featured in the trailer i mean to the extent that he's like a blurry figure in the background maybe but he definitely no, wasn't okay, in there so I'm that we saw. curious about him. I need more of him, but also Elrond. So that shot with Elrond mm. kneeling, it's a brief shot. People, it looks like maybe he's with the dwarves and they're celebrating, or it's hard to tell what's going on in the background. He doesn't look pleased. I didn't know what to make of that shot. Elrond is not happy. Elrond seems displeased at something. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on but i'm curious about his character what they're gonna do with his character in the show because he's supposed to be this political player and i think we talked about this last time that's just a different a sort of different than um elrond is is less he doesn't really have to be a political player his Mm -hmm. father was so powerful and iconic um i'm just yeah i'm just very curious about him and where his character is going. What will he be like? We didn't get much of him from the trailer. I'm glad he was in it. But I would say I'm most curious about him at this point. Elrond? Yeah. And I, I'm curious about that shot as well. What, I, I couldn't tell that it was dwarf. So it's interesting that you said that. All I could see was people clinking glasses in the background. Um, I know people are saying that the whatever scepter he was holding maybe looked elvish or not elvish dwarvish because it's kind of angular but you know it's think, really hard to know it yeah. looks like the handle of an axe maybe or like the handle of a weapon potentially and we see him kneeling against a stone so actually i wonder now that you've raised the idea of, of dwarves we see another shot here of durin the fourth smashing a giant stone in half with like three other elder dwarves standing around i 
Yeah, what did you make of that? Because I thought, was he just is he trying to destroy the ring? A ring? A ring? Like maybe uh, it, it harkens back to when Gimli was trying to destroy. That's interesting. Actually, that's interesting. The ring with his axe. I thought perhaps they've caught on to the fact that this ring is no good. The imagery that's could be a deliberate callback, but I I wouldn't think actually that they. I mean, maybe that would be a a scene much later in the season, right? I don't think it would be in the first season that. You know, Anatar helps Kelebrin Bor forge the rings. They give away the rings. They use the rings, and then they realize he's bad, and then they try and destroy the rings. Like, yeah, it would be a lot to cram in. Be a lot to cram in early on. But I think the images. You might be right. That's kind of a deliberate callback, Um, Mm -hmm. even if what's actually going on in the scene is very different. You know, showing Durin trying to smash the stone. It's pretty cool. But except he actually does smash the stone. Um, But I wonder if that stone that he smashes, and it looks like it's some sort of ceremonial event. Like maybe that's part of. You know, to become king is part of the ceremony. You know, you smash a stone. I don't know what dwarves do in their spare time. But maybe this <laughs> this stone that Elrond is very seriously leaning against while people are celebrating in the background, maybe at this big celebration, he has some concerns of some kind. There, there's something going on in his life that makes him concerned about what's just transpired. And so he's sort of leaning against this stone that's just been smashed. I don't know. I'm just trying to connect scenes that probably aren't connected <laughs> that's what we do here um, that's what we do here. in terms of characters i'm most curious about so obviously what's his name halbrand halberdad Hal, yeah i think it's how i think it's halbrand um very curious about him just because he's seems like he's made out of whole cloth and we know he's his fate is going to be intertwined with galadriel's in a very serious way so he's obviously a significant character um, i wonder if he is just sort of an everyman or if he's descended from kings, obviously Tolkien placed a lot of emphasis on, you know, primogeniture and bloodlines within that universe. So if he, to the extent he is someone significant in the plot, it would make sense if he was also someone significant in terms of, you know, being the rights of kingship or being an heir to something. So I'm just curious who he is. Someone Um, speculated he might be Isildur and that's just his character name. Which is a fun speculation, except we know who's playing Isildur and that's Maxim Baldry and that's a different actor. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes knowing too much ruins all the fun, (laughs) (laughs) but I was also uh, very curious about, there's a shot of a character flying through the air, ax in hand. looks like he's attacking something and he's got a chain around his left leg. Who is that? And what is he doing? Yeah. No idea that I, I haven't brought it up because I have no idea. Like well, I don't even have it. I don't. <laughs> I have to be totally honest. I want to have a theory, but I've got a theory. Mis- You've got a theory. All right. I've got a theory. Me. I think this is. Uh, I know the actor's name is at this point better than the made-up character's names. Ishmael Cruz Cardova. Uh, you know he's playing the Sylvan Elf. Uh, Arandir. Okay. I think this is oh, Arandir. That's him. Because if you zoom in, I think the ears, you can see the ears decently well. I think they're elvish ears. Very short hair. Okay. So we know that Arandir is a short-haired elf. So it could be him. And we heard early, early leaks that we were going to see some depiction of elves being captured, tortured, and turned into orcs. Basically like orcish concentration camps. Oh, he was escaping capture. Yeah. There you go. Um. There you go. Which, if that's the case, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting because 
I think when we heard that leak, we were assuming it was going to be a flashback because we know that in the lore, I mean, Morgoth was the one, and actually Sauron kind of executed the plan. He was a big part in executing the plan, but it was at Morgoth's behest that he would capture elves uh, and turn them into orcs. That's kind of where orcs came from, or at least in the the most widely accepted and the, still, the, the version of orcs origin story in the published Silmarillion. That's what happened. And that's all like early, early, early first stage. So we're assuming, okay, this is going to be some sort of flashback. But maybe, and it could still be a flashback. I mean, elves are immortal. So maybe Arendir is like a very, very old elf that was a part of those early settlements, some of whom got captured. And maybe this is him breaking out, you know, and trying to free some of his comrades. Cool. And that's cool. And that's a to- that makes total sense. And like we know that Ishmael Cruz Cordova is really a big part of the series. So following him in significant moments like that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Cause I've been curious, what is his plot line going to be? Yep. But let's talk about the action shot. We haven't even talked about this awesome action shot where he's catches an arrow. Oh yeah. I loved and it. Shoots it out. It was cool. I loved it. Like I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And the problem with you know too many of those action shots is they can really verge on being campy mm-hmm. or just stupid. And it wasn't at all. It was like beautiful to watch, and made me want to see more. And it doesn't. None of this seems like gratuitous violence at all. It seems like they're gonna have battles depicted but without the serious gore that you get from some other series um and i did yeah i thought that action shot was very cool yes yeah i i agree i thought to me it was tonally perfect it was Mm -hmm. it was more Mm -hmm. you know legolas in the fellowship of the rings being just an expert bowman you know in, in in the the last action sequences of the movie and not Legolas in The Hobbit, you know, running up falling rocks, you know. One yeah. really worked, one really didn't. And I thought that what we were seeing with uh, Arondir, Ishmael Cruz Cardovia, sort of catching the arrow and then very fluidly turning around, knocking the arrow and shooting it back. I thought it looked great. And it was it was perfect. Right point. Yeah. So I, I liked it a lot. Cause, and mm-hmm. you have to show, you have to find ways to show the extent to which elves are superior to sort of in terms of physicality and endurance, you do have to find ways to show that because that is a part of it. Um, It just has to not, they're not human defy fundamental laws of physics, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really like that action shot. Absolutely. If you're enjoying watch party, Lord of the Rings, you really should check out our wheel of time podcast hosted by Rourke Tharmston. Rourke is a wheel of time expert and each week breaks down the latest episode from Amazon's adaptation of the wheel of time with a panel of brilliant and funny guests who have never read the books. If you've already read the Wheel of Time books, this podcast will be fun for you because you'll get to experience the show through the eyes of first-timers. And if you're new to the Wheel of Time universe yourself, then Watch Party Wheel of Time is really perfect because there are no spoilers. That's right, Watch Party Wheel of Time gives you spoiler-free analysis and discussion of each episode. Check it out today, available on every major podcasting platform. Watch Party Wheel of Time. All right, so we're about to wrap up here. Let's just do high point, low point, favorite moment, least favorite moment, if you have one. Okay. Do you want to go first? No. Nope. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's hard. It's it's just hard for me to pick a favorite. Okay. So I'm going to say, honestly, my favorite moment was seeing Galadriel scale that. I know this is controversial, but like seeing her scale that wall because there's just so much there. There's so much already I feel like there's so much depth to her character like what is she she's definitely going to be very action driven but complicated which is what we know from the Vanity Fair article and just seeing her in action for me was was cool and exciting we we still are allowed to get excited about compelling female leads like in the in the fantasy world in the fiction world this this is still new yeah it still excites me and I didn't get to see that in um you know, in a lot of the adaptations. So that really excited me. Um, I wouldn't say this was a low point, but something maybe I cared less about was the cave troll shot. We didn't really talk about this. Hmm. Yeah. But the cave, there was a, a snow. Um, it was kind of weird not calling them. They're not calling them cave trolls, I don't think. It was an in ice this troll, series. I think. Ice, ice troll, troll, ice troll. Um the whole the high stroll thing I wasn't as excited about although you know what I will say it wasn't terrible looking like the CGI and the effects yeah. I yeah. I don't think it looked t- bad or terrible like there are people who are like oh that looks horrible I thought it looked fine like alright oh, I yeah, buy it it looked good look people just need to start be- stopping party poopers okay if this was not an adaptation of Tolkien <laughs> and it was just if, if it was a blank slate and you were seeing this trailer, it was some random show, you'd be like, oh, this looks great. Everything looks good. I think objectively everything looks good. Maybe I'm being ridiculous here, but I think it's, it's just it looks high quality. And the only reason that some people are having problems with the look and feel of anything is just because they come into it with so much baggage. And that's not anybody's fault. Um, it's just yeah. this is not a blank slate. And so everyone has the they're sort of burdened with their headcanon from the books they're burdened with um, their experience from the Jackson films and they're burdened with all the other art and music and, uh, you know, all the uh, other adaptive contributions that they've experienced, you know, John Howe's art and Alan Lee's art. Um, that has become a part of people's experience and how they embrace Tolkien. And so they come to this trailer with all of that in tow and it makes it impossible to uh, experience it from a purely objective. Or enjoy it. You uh, should place. enjoy it. Yeah, but I think if it looks great. If, it. if 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 it wasn't yeah. Tolkien, it was just some random show. It just looks awesome. I, I I yeah, I didn't have complaints about the way it looked. It just for me is like okay, well, there's a, you know, I'm less excited about seeing that stuff. Yeah. What about you? Well, one I, I you know, touching on something that you said about Galadriel. I mean, I gotta. I think just in general, not one specific scene, but from this teaser, but Galadriel in general, and knowing that we're gonna get so much more of her brothers, we see Finrod. You mentioned the, the cave troll scene, which we didn't talk much about, but I think that that character is probably one of her other bro- brothers, either Agnor Ag- oh, or Ingrad. Um, because he's dressed in the exact same garb, right? He's got that really cool, very so- small, subtle male that's like hanging over his face, which is that's right, that's right. A very cool, very cool design, I think. Um, so I think that's probably one of her brothers, and I, I like that we're gonna get. And all of her brothers, spoiler alert for everybody, all of her brothers are dead by the second age. Finrod dies at the hands of Sauron. Her other brothers die in the Dagger Bragalak when um, Thangaradrim 
is broken asunder they basically like melted in lava essentially i think is is what's implied so they're all dead and she's left all alone you know with the weight and trauma of those losses behind her um and that's going to be a huge part of her life and i'm very excited to see that they're going to be exploring that trauma as a big part of her backstory because it makes her such a three-dimensional character yeah i feel the same exact same way i've arrived i've arrived there yeah yeah um but in terms of my my favorite my own favorite um other than that i uh, i had something in mind but the troubling thing here is i it really did and i'm not just blowing smoke up amazon's behind it really did look good all of it i mean there's so much here to like so i'm I'm really maybe i'm just easily pleased um (laughs) (laughs) there was a shot that we have not talked about that almost looks like lothlorien and Mm. it's a shot of trees and it's a very quick shot and i didn't realize it probably the first three times that i watched the trailer because it's so quick but actually it's it's an aerial shot and you can see several elves kind of in a semicircle in the trees and there's actually some kind of ceremony going on and it, i'm guessing maybe a wedding i don't know but gilgalad is at the center of it. it looks like almost like he's officiating or at the head of this ceremony the trees look vaguely reminiscent of lothlorien you know it's a whitish gray trunks with golden leaves i don't think they're malorin trees because they're not big enough but maybe some sort of relative um sort of that's native to middle earth i don't know but I just thought that was a beautiful, beautiful shot. Beautiful and, shot. And it, it shots like that, and there are a couple of others that sort of hint at they're really going to be embracing. It really is evocative of elvish ethereal culture to me. Uh, the ethereality of elves, the otherworldliness of them, the true beauty of their culture. That shot was evocative of those things to me. So I'm excited every time I see a shot like that. And look, this is purely subjective. I think everybody's got a different version of what makes elves look like elves. That shot did it for me. If it didn't do it for you, maybe there's something else in there that that, that works for you. But that one really got me goose pimply. In terms of lows, I'm really going to have a, you know, I'm kind of cheating here. I don't have a real low low. I guess the ice troll would be my low just because it got me the least excited. I care the least about those types of scenes um, because those aren't character scenes. Those are like action-y CGI scenes. And I'm sure I'll still enjoy that, but it just doesn't do a whole lot for me relative to other stuff. Um, But all in all, as you can tell, I think I'm, and I'm not just fanboying out here, but I was pretty pleased with what I saw. I thought there was a lot of fun stuff to get into. Now, I think it is time to do our first mailbag. So I want to start this mailbag segment by hearkening back to a couple episodes ago when we did the first teaserish video that we ever got, which was the title reveal. And you may recall that I mentioned in there uh, that there, you could see some Elvish script along the sides of each of the letters of the once the title was finally revealed. And I made a comment that someone should call Chad Bornholt because he could probably either uh, translate it or know somebody that would translate it. And uh, Chad did not disappoint. A few days later, he did uh, message me and give me, point me in the direction of some, you know, uh, some resources, some folks. We have an excellent fandom. Tolkien fans are the best. And of course, people went straight to work translating that text or what was visible. And we did get some translations. And essentially, it looks like it, it was 
language relating to the ring verse, um, basically along the sides of each of the letters was words that correlated to the ring verse. And I won't go into the details because um, I think that's all we really need to know is that it's the ring verse on the side there. But uh, I just wanted to give a quick hat tip and shout out to our friend Chad Bornholt over the Texas Tolkien Talk podcast. Um, he and Chad High have a great podcast and they've joined us for a few episodes here. Our first letter that I want to get into today comes from Marilyn, who um, is a friend of ours, a uh, great member of the Tolkien community, and she will be joining us for a future episode about the transformation of Arwen from the books to the screen in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And she's been sending us some great notes after uh, uh, the last few episodes. And after the Vanity Fair article, she sent us some messages and that had some stuff that was, I thought, really insightful. So one of the topics we talked a lot about in the Vanity Fair article was Galadriel and the potential militarization of her character and how that was a point of controversy for a lot of fans. So she says, on the point of military women in Arda, don't forget Halith. I have to think she inspired a tradition of warrior or guardian women. My first reaction to that photo was, hi, Brienne. <laughs> and she's referencing Game of Thrones there, of course. I'm afraid that Galadriel leading the troops of the North or whatever it was is a bit too Game of Thrones for me. I'll have something to say about the gendering of heroism when we talk about Arwen. But I thought that was a very good point that there, you know, I wrongly said there are no warrior women in Lord of the Rings other than Eowyn. Uh, and she's right there, you know, to every rule, there is an exception and there are important exceptions. And Eowyn is not the only one. She referenced Haleth and I won't get into it here, but um, there is infinite depth to Tolkien. So if you want to Google Haleth, um, there's a good story there for you to, to look into. We also talked a lot about bearded dwarf women and the controversy about whether or not they should be bearded in this adaptation. And it does look like they won't be bearded because we saw another image of Princess uh, Deese and it really did not, I, you did not see a wisp of beard on her cheeks anywhere. So I think we're not going to get bearded dwarfs, a bearded dwarf women in this adaptation. But Marilyn says, there's a lovely Norse myth that I think is a possible source for Tolkien's forays into bearded dwarf women, as well as the name Longbeards. Two Southern tribes, the Winnellers and the Vandals are at war. Odin favors the Vandals, but the women of the Winnellers pray to Odin's wife, Frigga, for advice. She knows that Odin is torn between the two equally valiant peoples and had decided to give the victory to the first tribe he saw in the morning. So, she tells all the women to get up early, tie their hair in front of their chins so it looked like beards, and to stand under Odin's window before dawn, shouting and waving their spears. Sure enough, Odin woke up and looked east out his window and saw an enormous army of very long-bearded warriors. He called them the Longbeards, which became Lombards, and gave them the victory, and possibly gave rise to a whole lot of discussion by Tolkien fans about bearded dwarf women. For my part, I am easy either way. And so I thought that was a great historical tidbit, because we know that Tolkien was uh, influenced by uh, Nordic legends, and that was part of what inspired certain aspects of the Legendarium. So, hey, it is entirely possible that, that, that he was aware of this legend, and that, it, I mean, the the ties are kind of difficult to ignore. Long beards uh, are the Durns line. So I thought that was a really, really fascinating story. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that piece of trivia. And the more, the more I learn about these Nordic legends and culture and Welsh culture and names, it's all, it all gives such insight into what Tolkien wrote about in his world. So thank you so much, Marilyn, for, for that and for, 
just contacting us in general. It's so fun to know that people are listening and hopefully enjoying the content we're putting out there. So yeah, thank you all again. And let us, oh, we, we love to know your, we love to hear your feedback. Um, so if you have feedback about the trailer or something we didn't mention, please write us, contact us. And um, I think that's going to gonna do it for this episode. We're just as excited as ever. And um, we can't wait for more. So thanks for joining us. Come back next time. I'm sure that there will be something new in a couple days. It seems like, uh, like we said, it's when it rains, it pours. So it's uh, really coming on strong now. We're going to have plenty of good stuff to talk about. Um, but if there isn't any news, we still have a lot of episodes planned and coming up uh, where we dig deep into Peter Jackson's adaptation of Lord of the Rings. We have great guests for that. And uh, so no shortage of material here. Please keep coming back. We love you. We'll see you. We'll talk to you. This is a weird sign off. May the hair on your toes never fall out. So, Jen, it's been a little while since we did Grey Havens. I think maybe one episode to be exact, uh, but I miss it already. And so I thought, to, let's just talk about um, what we're watching. And we talked about this a little bit before, you know, in this sort of pre-production meeting. And there is a show that you started watching that I want to talk to you about called The Gilded yes. Age on HBO. The Gilded Age on HBO. Yes, I'm enjoying this show. For me, it's by the same creator as Downton Abbey, first of all. And you can definitely tell that it is the same creator so as Downton Abbey. Obvious. Like, there's so a obvious. lot of overlap. There's a lot of similarities. There's like too many similarities. Yeah. Um, I am enjoying it. For me, it's sort of fluffy. It for me, it's a fluffy show mm -hmm. that I enjoy. Um, and but there's also important thematic elements in it. Um, you got a woman of color fighting against the, the systems. She's a writer. She's ambitious. Her father's discouraging her. Society is racist. Um, and there's there's a lot of intrigue. It's, it's, it's basically high society New York. Um, women battling it out for status and all kinds of different things. Um, young female lead who... In, is penniless goes to live with her two uh, wealthy aunties and in New York city. Um, and I love that it's set in old New York city. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying this show. I mean, it's only the third, I think what the fourth episode aired tonight. I haven't even seen it yet. Um, but it's a fun fluffy watch for those who enjoy period pieces. I definitely fall into that category. Um, Michael, have you watched it? So this is why I wanted to, talk with you about it because we did watch it we watched the first episode but we really didn't like it <laughs> now, i wouldn't say <laughs> we really didn't like it but it just uh like you said it feels a lot like downton abbey and too much like downton abbey it just feels like basically a ripoff i mean it is like trying to follow a lot of the same beats it's it's basically a poor knockoff but an american version and at first i was like hey downton abbey set in america like that could be interesting because mm -hmm. american history is different from english history and like part of what made downton abbey fun is is it's set in this house and so you have the characters and the culture and that's all fun and there's this backdrop of english history and world war one that's going on and that 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 backdrop 
changes the show a little bit and makes it kind of unique. And I thought, hey, this is going to have a different backdrop. We're going to get to see glimpses of uh, early American history, which I am fascinated by American history. I, I, I love American history. And this is set um, after the Civil War. Um, I think it's like 1880s. Um, yeah. So before the turn of the century, but after Civil War, which is a very interesting period, it's you know Reconstruction yeah. period, um, uh, very important for constitutional scholars. Um, and so I thought, hey, and and like you mentioned, there is uh, a black character, uh, and there's all kinds of interesting plot lines that they could explore there, and maybe they will. But I didn't get a after the first episode, I didn't get a sense that they are going to really dig into that in a meaty way. Um, it seemed more like uh, they'd be just kind of giving it lip service. I didn't feel like they were going to get too deep. I felt like they were going to spend more time exploring the high society drama. And it just felt, um, it wasn't great. It's not that it was bad. It just wasn't great. And it felt like a copy. And so, I mean, I were like, uh, you know, we're going to they choose to watch explore- something else. Yeah. They are exploring, um, her plot line, the African-American ladies plot line. Um, I would say they're giving it like, equal time or almost equal time as the high society ladies battling it out um and there's also there's gay character and his struggle and there's some other interesting elements there mm-hmm. um i wouldn't say it's the greatest television no but <laughs> and you're right they do rip off a lot of downton abbey themes there's even like, like the music even sounds like it's like the music it's, sounds, it sounds very so similar and also there's these two characters that work in the kitchens um, there's like three characters that work below the downstairs people mm-hmm. um, who are like the servants of the house that are carbon copies of Downton Abbey characters, almost carbon copies. <laughs> and like the romances that play out are very, very, very similar. Wow. So, you know, Julian Fellows, is that his name? I think I'll I'll correct myself if I'm wrong. Um, was just like, well, that worked. We'll try it again. But right, right. <laughs> different. And I'm sure it will work to a certain extent. It'll find its fans, you know, but Downton Abbey Yeah, I mean, I'm watching it and it's not one of, it's not one of those shows that has my rapt attention. I just enjoy it. It's fluffy. I enjoy it, you know. Because Downton Abbey was excellent. Downton Abbey was great. I love Downton Abbey. Um, This is more like, okay, it's Monday evening and I'm, you know, sending emails and stuff. I can have it on in the background. Right, 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 right. It's more of a background show. All right. Well, um, see, I was because we didn't talk in depth about it. You just said that you talked that you had started watching the show, so I was like, "Oh, we got to talk about that." Because I just was assuming that if you were watching it, that you really liked it. So I was all prepared to have a fight with you. <laughs> finally, disagree on this. Podcast. I mean, I'll go to bat for it. But no, if we want you know, me to. <laughs> again, the too much groupthink. We think too much alike. So. Like, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, not uh, there's not too much on my radar right now. Um, I've been kind of watching and waiting for um, some exciting things to emerge, but mostly I'm watching and waiting for The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, I've got a great, um, great series to recommend to you. We just okay, finished watching it. it, first season. Um, one of the most fun ones that we've seen in a little while. Um, and let's talk about that. The next time we do Grey Havens about what we're watching, I'm just going to tease you and not tell you. What? Okay. All right. Fair enough. It is getting late. But it is good. It is good. Okay. Well, now you've piqued my interest. So definitely next time, folks, tune in. We're going to do an epi- next episode very shortly. Um, and we will 
we will all reunite in podcast land soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> we will all. <laughs> well, it's hard to say. Well, I always want to say I'll see you later. <laughs> see you later, we'll y'all. See you later, but we won't see you later or hear from you later. So we'll reunite through here ear ear ears <laughs> at a future date. This is this is just so <laughs> clean. <laughs> Eloquently put. <laughs>